Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Today's guest is Adam Burroughs, co-founder and managing partner at Range Ventures, early stage venture capital firm backing the best tech entrepreneurs in Colorado, one of my favorite places. Previously, he was the chief business officer over at Guild Education in the EdTech space. And before that, he held multiple senior VP uh, level jobs over at Home Advisor, which everybody knows, public company, uh, knows a thing or two about building businesses. And uh, we're going to talk some scale today. Excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Excited to be here. So we have a we have a ton to dive in, but I, the place that I'd love to start is all around Guild Education. So. Um, you had actually come into this company, not as a founder and not as the earliest stage employee. So you weren't like the first VP of sales or anything like that. So you came in at kind of a unique spot. So let's start there. As far as you come in, what, what was the kind of the stage of the company? What was the situation there? And and what were you initially tasked in doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, at Guild, I joined Guild in early 2017, uh, as chief business officer was the first C-level outside C-level hire, and the company was post-Series B from a capital standpoint, but was actually even a little earlier than that from a revenue standpoint, probably relative to where some other Series B companies are. It um, really was enterprise kind of whale hunting, right? So it's a, a not you know tons of different of revenue or different customers that maybe some of your uh, listeners that have more SMB or kind of traditional SaaS businesses are focused on. So it's post-Series B, about 75 employees when I joined. Um, a sales team was already, the equivalent of a sales team was already in place, but uh, a pretty small one and not, you know, not much structure to it. And uh, just to be very clear here, what Guild does, Guild provides education as a benefit for employers, so for large employers. So if you've heard about how Walmart or Disney uh, or now Target are offering free college for their employees, that's Guild. And when I was there, we signed Walmart, Disney, um, Lowe's, Discover, uh, Financial, a number of others. And since, since then, obviously, Guild has gone on to grow quite a bit and add a lot more. But there's two sales teams there. There's enterprise sales, so selling the program to the employer. And then there was one of the teams I was in charge of, which is the equivalent of inside sales, which is once they've already signed the contract with, let's say, Walmart, right, making sure that Walmart employees were signing up to go to school, which is really where Guild makes its revenue as a rev share of uh, the tuition that's being being paid by those those employees. So, uh, how, how much how much did you have access to the the initial side, the enterprise side? Is which one's harder? I should say. Oh where I'm trying to get to. Yeah, <laughs> both both hard in in the guild world, sure. right? Uh, certainly, you're looking you you are hunting for whales, and so getting Walmart to say yes to a many many million dollar contract is obviously. A much bigger, much tougher proposition than getting one employee or student to say yes to going back to school. But doing that at scale, doing it consistently, doing it and hitting numbers is 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 equally hard in a very different way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let let's dive into that. So, deal is sold, and now we're in. So, um, uh, is this is this kind of the customer success? So, this is all of the penetrating of the account. You got the initial funds from. I don't say initial funds, but the the company itself, the enterprise company says, hey, we're in anybody who's at the company who wants to do this, 
we're gonna pay some of we're we're gonna pay for this, and now it's up to you to kind of figure out like, all right, how do we actually go get a hold of them, educate them, explain to them, get over this why on earth what's like what's the catch here to actually go and and dive into educating myself? Yeah, hundred percent, right? So. Um, that's exactly it, Alex. And it's a weird deal in a few ways, right? One is it's a closed universe of prospects because it's the employees of the company. Two is you're selling something that's effectively free in, in the case of Guild. So it sounds like, hey, this should be super easy. Everybody should do it. But it's a very big commitment to go back to school. Um, this isn't, hey, this is free sign up and we're going to send you, you know, a free jacket or something. This is you're signing yeah. up to take on this large, large commitment and different employ employers obviously have different requirements of, you know, to get that free degree, what you might have to do in terms of a certain number of classes or certain grades you have to hit. But you have to really make a serious commitment. And so um, absolutely what you described is finding them. So I was I oversaw our marketing team, which was really activating those employees. And then ultimately uh, the equivalent of an inside sales team at Guild. Of what, at the time uh, we called educational consultants. Not sure what they're, they're called today. Um, but really, we're this consultative role where, yes, their job was the equivalent of inside sales of get someone to say yes, enroll in school. Um, but also, really, we're playing that consultative role uh, with regard to, okay, like, what are the considerations? What's this program really mean? What are the different options in terms of universities or programs? And how might that connect to your larger uh, career goals? And so when you first come in, how big is this team? Team is, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I want to say it was around, Give or take. Yeah, around five to 10 people. Okay, so five to 10. Is that including marketing, inside sales? Is that including all the different components? It was yeah, it was probably, I, I was thinking the inside sales, but I think marketing had maybe two people. So maybe it was, let's call it a dozen people total between the okay. teams. All right, so you have, you don't have a huge team to activate. Thousands, thousands, I mean, Walmart alone no. has thousands no. of employees that you need to figure out how to activate. So when you think about it, like what, what were some of the initial sales motions that were taking place? And then ultimately, what did you unlock and say, hey, this is not working. We need to switch. Yeah, so so I'll say one of the big things I did was was having to scale the team, right? To your point, to meet the demands of these. Yeah. You, you'd sign a big, especially small stage company, early stage startup you sign a Walmart or a Disney, and that now unlocks you know a huge relative um, proportion of prospects relative to what you already had. So we got we had to scale the team very very quickly. I think in the ten months I was there, we went from you know about a dozen give or take to um, I want to say close to fifty between um, all of of you know inside sales and, and revenue, right? And so we had to come up with processes. To your point, when I joined, there weren't really a lot of processes in place. There was some kind of rudimentary reporting data. There wasn't, um, you know, any process in terms of how do we even evaluate these people, which we'll talk about in a second, that were sales prospects. Yeah. Um, there, was, uh, there, there were no real processes of, of what's our, you know, how many times do we call? What's the cadence? Who, how are we even getting inbound versus outbound? Uh, there were just some of these things, but it was pretty haphazard. And so we really had to start from scratch um, as we unlock these new huge accounts of how do we build a scalable sales team um, to go address this. So you, you kind of have to go back to the basics here, right? Like you have to look at it. You come in and you're like, all right, people have kind of thrown their best effort towards this thing. We don't really have this formalized approach. What got us here is certainly not going to get us to the next level, which is the, the classic scale uh, question. So what, what does that look like? So what are, what are some of the things that you go to do 
in order to go back to those basics and kind of rebuild that foundation correctly. Yeah, so, so the other thing is that we had talked about before that I think made this the most unique and, and why I think it's an interesting thing to talk about is we weren't allowed to pay commission. As crazy as that sounds, this is the no one, commission. No commission. So I don't know if healthcare is like this as well, but ed tech and education, anytime you're dealing with college degrees, it's regulated under uh, Title IV, federal government, right? And because of all the okay. stuff that happened in for profit education in the like, late 90s, I think early 2000s, you heard these about you know University of Phoenix and stuff, and these degree mills, quote unquote, they were paying commission for just getting people to sign up and then take federal dollars. The government yeah. came in and, and said, you cannot. If you're you know, trying to get someone to enroll in school, even though in this context it's different because it's uh, fully um, you know, educational uh, funded by the companies, but there's still a federal grant component potentially, you cannot pay commission. So we had to say, oh my God, the founder of the company, um, I remember her telling me this. I'm like, wait a minute, I have to build a sales team and we can't pay commission? <laughs> and oh when, when you actually take a step back after I freaked out for a second and was like, what the heck yeah. are you going to do? <laughs> right. And then I actually thought about it. So, okay. This is actually an interesting challenge because if you think about commission, right, what does commission solve for? Well, actually commission solves for quite a lot. So kind of by definition, well, if you write a good commission plan, which is, this is based on your high performers are going to be taken care of because they're going to just make disproportionate amount of money. And that kind of like lets you off the hook a little bit as a, um, you know, as a leader, because you're like, hey, they're good. They're making so much money. And it also right. takes care of a lot of the really bottom performers because they're not going to make any money. They're going to self-select out of the program. And it kind of allows you to be a little bit lazy there as well. So I had to say, okay, sure. we have to solve for these same dynamics that commission's solving for, which is rewarding the top performers, managing out the bottom performers. But we can't actually use that as a lever. So what do we do? <laughs> like, what are the other, yeah. what are the other things? I literally remember having a whiteboard session. What are the other things you can do to effectuate the same motivational behaviors if you can't pay commission? And um, yeah, we came up with a few things that I think worked pretty well, but also it had to go commensurate with the other challenge, which is hiring. How do you hire people that have the inclination to be on the phone all day, uh, you know, be using the sales motion, right, of, of being consultative, sure, but ultimately trying to get a close, um, get people to over over the you know over their objections, that are willing and excited to come work somewhere where they don't have the chance to make outsized commission driven money. Yeah. So how do we ramp this team very quickly, find the right people, and also motivate them and get them to be a high performing unit without paying commission? Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, that, I mean, that seems like where you're starting is when you're quote unquote back to the basics yes. and going back to the yeah. foundation to go, all right, well, if I'm going to scale this thing, you know, you have to have some kind of a foundation and oftentimes it's uh it's money, right? Hey, we're going to be able to say, Hey, this is how much money you can make. This is how you do it. You run the whole formula and you and I can talk about that kind of playbook all day long. But now you're saying you have to not only hire people you have to motivate them you got to identify the top performers you got to build this out because the way if, if i understand correctly the way that you would actually collect the money from a walmart is the more people who do this training the more money that guild makes effectively right it's a rev share so they have to stick with it as well it's the equivalent sure. to, in a commercial uh you know maybe a back-end payment or retention payments or, or whatnot but yes right yes you have to enroll in order for guild to get paid correct correct so how'd you do? <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't even like how do you even get started? So, so I think so, right, it, so it, you identify I'll, 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 so let's, let's, yeah. 
let's do that. Let's let's start with you identify these two main things. High performers are going to be taken care of. Bottom of the people are going to essentially opt out. You're looking at how, what are the things that you initially thought of from your initial hypotheses? Maybe we start there around what do I think is going to be similar to those same kind of behavior or same triggers to, to, to issue the same kind of behavior? Yeah. So I think the first place it starts, Alex, is, is, is especially as we we're scaling the team, it starts with hiring. Okay, it starts with hiring and identifying the right kind of people. And so we, as I built a team, we're building a team structure. So I hired a director over of sales. We ultimately had a director of sales, hired several sales managers, both internal promotion and external, combination of the two, um, and let them very upfront know the exact same challenge. This is what we're solving for, right? We're going to be every bit as high performing as any inside sales team, but we're going to do it with one hand tied behind you know, tied behind our back, but we're going to solve for it by being, being super creative. So it was about hiring people and also hiring people. I want to say this in this case, and, and I don't know how applicable this is to other companies, but it was hiring people who would never in a million years consider a sales job, right? If they were considering this job versus another sales job, why would they not take another sales job? They could make, you know, if they're good, if they're really good, they can make yeah. a lot more money, right? Yeah. It was somebody who we had to interview people who, would never look for a sales job, so we titled the position certainly differently, right? And, we, and it, it was valid and, and real in terms of it really is your number one job is to consult, be an educational consultant, be an expert, help get students you know, into the right course that's going to be great for their careers. Um, <laughs> but also somebody who had the raw abilities, talk to back to basics there too, the raw abilities of a salesperson, right? Do you love to talk to people? Are you fearless, right? Do you love to help people? people, right? Do you love to, you know, will you, will you convince people? Are you good at convincing people of things, right? Things that are the raw attributes of a top salesperson, but in yeah. the body of somebody who would never consider themselves a salesperson, right? And it then has to be somebody who's motivated by, and in Guild's case, this is easy, the intrinsic mission of the organization. In this case, help people access, you know, career advancement, educational opportunities in, in an affordable way. That's something that a lot of people can say, hey, that's my mission here. I'm excited to hit that finish line or achieve that goal in the same way I'd be excited to go ring the bell and go, you know, sell a yeah. piece of software. But instead of that, I'm doing that for money here. I'm doing it for the intrinsic value of helping this person, right? And so that's on the hiring side, back to basics. Once we get them in the door, there's a whole other set of things we did to build the team. So a few things we, we did, um, and I think these are, are lessons that can be really broadly applied because if you're in an organization and you say, hey, I'm going to build the best commission plan possible, it's going to take care of 80% of, of the challenges, right? Like we talked about. Yeah. But to build like a best in class, best in the world sales org, you can layer on these extra 20%, which are the things we had to do exclusively, that I think you combine those with a commission plan, you've got, you've got the opportunity to build just an unbelievable sales machine. And so what we did, I'll give you a few of the, the tactics, aside yeah. from hiring the right people, um, one, you think about what can motivate high performers and make them feel really, really good. Well, a big thing is recognition. Recognition, right? And not just, just dollars, but recognition and particularly recognition by somebody's peers. So what we did in that front is we spent a lot of time, we're really thoughtful about creating regular awards that were um, voted by people's peers, so what that forces you to do, right, is it forces you to not only be uh, good on your own right, um, because people see who's good and, and people, you know, recognize that, 
But you've also got to be helpful and collaborative. And this is one of the things that you run into problems with on sales teams where you have somebody who's an amazing salesperson, right? God, I wish they would help everybody else become a little bit better and see what they're doing. And there's not really a motivation to do that if you're just out for your own commission check. But here, you know, one of the things you're going to be rewarded on is if you're spending that extra time and helping your colleague next door get really good and do a good job, they're going to vote for you to win, you know, whatever awards we were, we were giving away, right? Which included, you know, meaningful cash, cash amounts, recognition in front of the whole group, uh, we, you know, lunch with the CEO, all kinds of stuff. So that was a really big component. And as a minimum to even be eligible for this as voted by your peers, right? We did do... Oh, so you, had a, you had a minimum, you had a floor that a you floor, had to break a floor. through. To, to, to be considered, right? To be, a, to be a finalist. We had certain performance metrics. We couldn't track or reward the ultimate performance metrics, i.e. how many students did you actually you know, get to go to school. But we could certainly track one input, which are productivity metrics. So we did, that was one thing we did. We put in place um, really, really good systems to track productivity metrics. How many people were you talking, did you talk to? How many, uh, how many minutes did you spend on the phone, right? That, just things like that that aren't dispositive, right? You can be an incredible salesperson um, with less minutes on the phone or you could be not very good with more. Yeah. But there's kind of a minimal amount of like you're doing an okay job, right? You're really like, working, yeah. working hard. And so you hit a minimum criteria, then you were eligible for being voted by your peers as um, you know, being a stud. And then the, the next thing we, we uh, I'm sure you got a bunch of bunch of details on these, but the, yeah, I got I got yeah. a million questions, but keep going. I want to get yeah. through these. The 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 other thing that we did that was a pretty big deal is we put, I think, peer pressure. So in, in addition to collaboration and recognition, peer pressure is another another component. And how did we do that? Well, we had monitors put up, and we used a program um, called Ambition. And there's several of these okay. right, things like this where you can have leaderboards, uh, different quotes. And we would feature leaderboards around productivity, the, the productivity metrics that we talked about, right? The inputs. And we were always also, now that we had the tracking, we were always in the back end trying to see, you know, which of these metrics ultimately, what, what type of productivity metrics ultimately would have some correlation with outputs, both in terms of enrollments, but also students who would go on to be successful, which is, you know, good for them, good for the employer, good for, good for Guild. Yeah. So we, we put those data um, uh, uh, data platforms in place to be able to ultimately track that so that we could get even better with what those productivity metrics should be that are inputs that ultimately correlate with the outputs we want um, for the business and for clients. That is cool. And we would highlight those all over the monitors on, uh, on screens with uh, ambition. So typically when you have non-sales people, I mean, a typical salesperson tends to be fairly competitive. Yes. Is that one of the attributes that you were looking for when you were hiring the right people? Because if they're interested in recognition, if they're interested in, you know, leaderboards and things, competition, like, not like, hey, I want to, I want to kill the other person type of thing, but like, like, like the friendly competition is the type of thing that like salespeople really like one up each other. It's, you know, how pro athletes get better and better. Is that, is that an attribute that really worked in that, in that, in that sense? Yes, all, all the core attributes that you look for, again, in a top salesperson, we were looking for too, just in, embodied in someone who would never, ever think of being a salesperson. It, never <laughs> it is fascinating. Because uh, there, there's a lot of people, I mean, we, we have a client our, ourselves who they have a ton of great salespeople. And if you say, hey, you're a great salesperson, they get really mad because they're like, I don't want to be a salesperson. They just yeah. intrinsically are all of those things, though. It, it, exactly. Exactly. So I think that was the interesting thing. But I think 
you know, what, what you're looking for, right? The ideal salesperson from the perspective of the company is somebody who's hyper competitive, but also, and this is where we were, you know, with the peer awards, collaborative, yeah. right? And I think that was a little easier for us because we were all working towards this common mission. Now, every company tries to have a mission and let's work towards the mission, but let's be, let's be real, right? Some of those missions are a little bit harder for people to really embody and, and get psyched up about than others. Guild's an easy one. This is an easy one. This is like something we all feel really good about is good for society. You're helping people all the time. Surfacing, and by the way, that's one of the things too. Surfacing a lot of these, talk about recognition, and, and really feeding like what, what the motivation is for people. It's not money. It's this mission and, and reward. And so we would always, we actually invest in the marketing team and a person who was internally, you know, going out and filming experiences with guild students and these incredible stories of people whose lives were changed by education, you know, and go back to one of the educational consultants. Hey, so-and-so really helped me understand what this program was about. Help me understand what a difference this can make in my life. And it's, I've gone on to, you know, graduate from college ultimately, right. Or get this promotion and these incredible legitimate feel good stories. So surfacing those all the time and associating them with, the person who was the original, you know, gatekeeper of the front door is another way to keep that momentum going. Wow. What, what other tricks you got up your sleeve? <laughs> you, got, you got hiring, you got recognition as a motivation, and we can dig into that more. You got yeah. talking about a little bit of that leaderboard competition, peer pressure. Yep. Did you do anything else from an initial basic foundation? Yeah, I think. I just want to make sure. we. So we talked a little bit. This is about how, um, we were able to go highlight those top performers more, yeah. more often. You're going to have bottom performers. You're going to have people who, who just are not yeah. um, able to make it work for whatever reason. And without commission, how do we make sure that we're on top of that? Because if you don't do anything, if left to your own devices, those people could just languish and kind of still yeah. stay, stay there forever, right? Because they're going to make the same paycheck um, as everybody else. Sure, they're, they're going to you know get their annual review and they won't get a – they won't get you know the same like a raise or, or promote on a promotion path, but it's not the same you know uncomfortableness they're going to feel that you're. But yet you as a business want them to get out quickly. So that was one where we always we really put this on the managers and said we need to know it all. You need to know it all time. Like who are your bottom performers, right? On your team of ten or twelve reps, who are your bottom performers? And just being as their manager, holding them accountable. We always know there's one or two bottom performers on a team. Right, making sure that the managers were recognizing who the, who they were and coming with a regular cadence of who those people are. What are you doing to try to get them up to to um, meet you know meet meet where they need to be? But just really putting that pressure on managers is that's the thing you're going to be evaluated on is making sure everybody on your team is good. Oh man! And so did you just use you use those you use measurement of activities and you use measurement on like your own set of performance metrics to be able to identify those top performers and then you could develop those people more and more. And then you ultimately looking back at what they did, you just figured out, Hey, this is what our top performers are doing. And then that Correct. fed, fed the model as far as like, okay, you know what we missed here on this type of hire. Like how much time did you spend just like analyzing performance and analyzing kind of like your hiring scorecard? A lot. A lot, hundred. I mean, a lot. We had to be much more data driven. And again, none of this stuff is dispositive, right? Um, yeah. But it was. It was. We were trying to get leading indicators 
ultimately that we could then look to and then to your point create kind of this profile because we're looking for a bit of a unique profile of candidate which we can then feed back all the way to the kind of beginning of the model right what does this what does this person look like so i think what i would say in our case is we spent a lot of effort setting up those the data and the tracking and the structures more so i think than a traditional sales org might have to do where all you really you're like okay we, as long as we can reward sales appropriately we can figure all the other stuff out on the, on the back end right yeah. we had a, we had to set that up from the beginning so when you think about that you were talking about how you had a couple of sales people and then you also had some marketing people yep. you didn't talk about ops you didn't talk about sales ops rev ops you didn't talk about any of the like typical supportive positions that you're going to see in a lot of organizations these days and i know that you know regardless of titles and that type of thing like you're talking about setting up a lot of data. You're talking about setting up some technology. You're talking about getting insights from the, some of this. What what did the what did the team look like as you started to grow? Like where from where it was to kind of where you got it to be? Yeah. So we we did have. I mean, again, titles everything different companies. We had a Salesforce. Yeah. We had a, we use Salesforce. We had a Salesforce team with yep. a couple uh, Salesforce developers that you know our our team worked super super closely with. So whether you want to call that sales ops or, or whatever, um, yeah, whatever. We, we had we had that function as well, which was critically important. And that team grew um, from like one person to, I don't know, I want to say three or four by the time I left. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, marketing worked super, super closely. And then we ultimately, both teams had to work with ops in the back end, like every company. And I, I oversaw um, one with a bunch of different ops teams, but, but one of the ops teams. Um, and then work with the client success on the enterprise sales on the enterprise side, right? Because they would be in charge of saying, hey, um, reporting back to the client, making sure that enough students were being activated and, and what was going on with yeah. that part of the world. Guild's a really unique, um, compelling, but but really unique and complicated company. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating because you don't hear a lot of ever not paying commission, but you were able to scale this team and create the revenue that you did how do you you talk a little bit about kind of striking this balance between competition and collaboration how do you scale something like that yeah that's a great question it's always trying to fight strike the right balance i i think ultimately right as a leader of a sales org it my, my number one job is hiring directors and managers that ultimately have that right balance right because i can control that i'm like okay i got my my directors or my managers um, you know, depending on how many you have, I can make sure that these five people or these six people, like they've got the right combination. And if they've got the right combination, they can each be in charge of making sure that their team has the right combination. I think that's how it is because people really, I think, respond to role models, particularly when you're hiring inside sales. Like we were inside sales people who are relatively junior in their careers, right? They've never had a job like this before because this is a weird, weird non-sales sales, sales job. And so um, making sure we had great management and great alignment among the managers of here's what we're trying to do. And, you know, as a fast growing, chaotic startup, we were meeting, you know, on the daily at times to calibrate on that. Wow. When you look back, what were some of the, what, what were some of your, like, if I had to do it again, I probably would have done it a little bit. Like, what are some of those key gotcha learning? Hmm. So I was only guild for about a year. <laughs> so I, luckily, yeah. wasn't, there, wasn't there long enough to have you know things things backfire, which I'm sure some of them did, and the people who succeeded me, you know, probably were were praising me and cursing me at various days <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> at the same, same time. Sentence. Yeah, depending on the on, on the day. 
Um, hmm. You know, I, I think calibrating on that right hire, it just took us time, right? We made some hires that I think we sh wish we hadn't, but we got there by the end, right? It just, at first, we just didn't know. And some of the stuff, Alex, as yeah. you know, and your listeners know, you just, there are mistakes you just have to make by doing, you know, it's just trial and error, um, I, I think yeah. is, the, is, the, is the dynamic there. I think one of the things that was an interesting debate we always had at, at Guild was around this, because so much of the motivation had to be mission driven, right? Not not just dollars and cents, but mission driven. And, and people were paid, paid well and fairly there, but certainly not the outsized opportunities that come with commission. Um, there was always debate around how mission-driven the person had to be on the front end, right? You had people who would come in and say, yeah. I'll use a spectrum, right? Anywhere from, oh my God, this is the job I was born, like I, I need to do education, it's all I care about, helping people go to college, right? I'm so motivated, it's all I wanna to do, to someone who's like, yeah, this seems like a really good good idea, right? Or this seems like a really good mission, like to that, to that extent. And where on that yeah. spectrum, you know, what was the line to draw? And I think some mistakes that we made at the company, honestly, this is going to be a little counterintuitive, uh, both in my department and others, was to give probably too much weight to the person who was on the one side of the spectrum. Of, oh, my God, I was born to work at this company, right? This is my mission in life is helping people go back to college. And it's obviously intoxicating to want to hire that person. Um, but ultimately, what we got burned a few times was when we would hire somebody like that sometimes that person would end up becoming, being disappointed, right? Why? Not because, I mean, the company was legit. The company was, mission really was that, but they were almost yeah. too cause oriented and not recognizing that like, this is a business and you have to build for scale sometimes. And any individual student or slash customer, right? They might not have a great experience, right? We want every, we want the collective whole to have a great experience. We want NPS to be high, but there's always going to be, you know, the edge case, student or customer who we don't have the product that solves for what they need and they're going to have a bad experience and we're really yeah. sorry about that but when we're prioritizing the dev team resources and what we're building the org towards it's solving it for the 90 percent of customers not the one and we yeah. saw this time and time again where the person who was so mission aligned would have a really hard time letting go of that one who we couldn't solve for their needs unfortunately yeah, I mean, I, I can see that one, one of our current clients today is actually a nonprofit. And one, that's one of the those healthy balances where it's like, hey, you want them, you know, with any, with any kind of hire ever, you really want them to buy into like, ultimately where you're trying to get to. But understand that it is about this business. And there is no one client or one person or one anything that can make or break it, it should be the collective effort. And while not everybody can have this amazing experience, you do the best that you can and we exactly. can't get hung up on that one bad experience. Exactly, we had a core value when I was there called students first, right? And we, because of what I just told you, we had a, I remember we had a talk with everybody about, hey, it's students first, not student first, right? We're, we're trying to solve for what's gonna affect the overall collective best experience of students. That might mean that one student or two, we might not just be, we may just not be able to solve for what they need anytime soon. Yeah. So how, how did you know that this was work? Like, how did you know to pour gas on this, uh, on this fire here? So you had these ideas, 
you know, you knew that you had a little bit of limitations as far as like you can't pay commissions. You knew you had some hypotheses and some bets going in to say, hey, this is kind of the makeup that at least yeah. of the initial person. Yeah. And I understand there's the motion of like build, measure, learn as far as like, hey, we're going to do and we'll get better next time. But how did you know? I mean, I know you well enough that you're not just going to be like, hey, give me a hundred million dollars and we're just going to dump it on this thing tomorrow. Yeah. Like you're very much of like, yeah. hey, let's yeah. figure out what's working and then we're going to go. Like, how did yeah. you what 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 was the thing that you kind of figured out? Hey, let's let's go. Uh, let's go a little bit faster even now. Yeah, um, it was really just it's, it's weird in this way because we, we had to be so productivity focused, input focused. It was just were people busy, <laughs> right? Was the marketing yeah. team able to generate enough? inbound interest from the, the, this closed network of prospects at any given company to keep the phones ringing, to keep the you know, emails coming such that people were following up and that everybody was busy. As crazy as that, as that sounds, like it was, yeah. are, are people really busy? Are students' needs being met, right? Are there, are, is everybody who is interested in going to school at a, you know, at a level serious enough to, to warrant having a conversation with somebody, are all their needs being met and are they um, being met quickly because this is also an expectation from call it Walmart, right? Walmart also is putting out this program. And if I'm a Walmart employee and I have an interest in learning about it, if I got to wait a week to talk to somebody, that's a problem. Speed. And, yeah. Speed so it, it was, it was speed. It was, are you busy? And speed of responsiveness is what was the kind of leading metric of like, okay, let's go keep, keep hiring. You had some signals. So did, was there like a, what kind of systems did you have in place? Is it a, you reached out to them or was it like a demand gen inside the, inside of a Walmart or whatever the company is to try to drive the inbound? Like what, what was the motion? Yeah. So when I was there, um, and again, I, I can't speak to what the, you know, I'm sure they've, they've gained a lot of sophistication and, yeah. and, and whatnot. Um, we were primarily focused on demand gen, um, internally yeah. and, um, you know, surfacing the people who are who are interested or, or hand raisers. Uh, we had this debate a lot when I was there, right? Of how much do we want to be yeah. going after people? But the thought was, right, this is free college. This is something that people know at a high level, at least enough to, to be curious, right? Potential value of. And so it's really yeah. about making sure that the people who, making sure that we created all the mechanisms for someone to express some interest, if they had any, right? All over the place. There's a lot of different touch points to do that. Um, and then once they did express some interest, making sure that we could get to them very, very quickly with the exact right amount of information, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess if they're hand raisers, they're, they're opting in. There's less, there's, there's less of a sell there. In the beginning, it's really just uh, creating awareness to be like, hey, did you even know this option was even in existence for you? Correct. Let the people who wanted to opt in. And it was more about helping, quote unquote, helping them buy versus convincing them to buy. Correct. But you had to be, Correct. Correct. you had to understand that buyer's mentality to go, what is the average person inside of Walmart thinking about being like, I can't do this, or how long is this going to take me, and does this take a time away from my family, and all the different types. You of got it exactly. Work. It's help, helping them buy one hundred percent, and those are yeah. what you just listed are you know many of the common objections. That yeah, that you would hear. Yeah. That makes sense. That's right. That makes yeah. sense. Let's talk a little bit about uh, management and leadership because I think that's one of the big areas of scaling that uh, is not discussed enough about. So the, we talked a little bit about the individual contributors who were having conversations yeah. with all these people. But now you're saying that you had some directors, that you also yeah. had um, some managers. Like, what what is the hiring profile even of that look like? How do you, 
you know, most people are like, hey, let's ring yeah. the gong and, yeah. you know, let's go get yeah. that sales money and yeah. smile yeah. smile and yeah. dial type of thing for those dollars. Like, how, that obviously changed your profile. Tell us tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. That, Alex, this is probably the hardest part, honestly. was And, and we I, I felt really good. The team that we had built, that I felt really, really good about about all of them uh, by, by the end. But that this was really challenging. The easiest thing to do would have been to just exclusively hire people from within the education industry already. Because, you know, whether it be a for-profit university or whatnot, there were people who already kind of came up through this type of organization and, and understood and were comfortable with how this worked. That was a relatively small pool of people. And a lot of those companies are not the most cutting edge, aggressive, um, you know, forward thinking companies that you want to interact with or, or feel like they've got the top talent. That said, that was one pool and we did hire some people from there that were great, right? But, um, you know, that was only one pool. I wasn't uh, going to be happy with saying, hey, we're gonna build this cutting edge, you know, venture scale company in ed tech with only people who come from, you know, the previous generation of, of, of ed tech. Um, so we had to incorporate some of those people with people who had really come from more just traditional tech companies. And it was hard. It, it, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. Like that is hard to go to somebody who has sales skills, or ideally, in this case, you really have to have experience managing sales. Like it's, you know, yeah. the salesperson is not really the salesperson. That's great as a entry level rep person, but the how do you find that person that actually has experience building and ma managing teams? It really there was about somebody who you could get excited up around the mission, as I mentioned, critically important, but also the career opportunity. And in this case, right, we couldn't pay them in terms of uh, commission, but we could pay them in terms of equity, like a traditional startup. Yeah. And getting them very excited about their ability to contribute to that equity value growth and what that could ultimately be um, in terms of dollars. But I also feel like I, I know I know a lot of sales leaders and that that feeling that almost like helpless feeling where it's like hey i'm a manager i have been a sales rep or i've been an individual contributor for a long time and i have control of what i make and then you become a manager you become a leader and all of a sudden you got this big this big commission number that you're supposed to hit or this big target that you're supposed to hit and you almost feel helpless to the point of it stops you in your track because you're like i'm not really sure what to do and it's almost like in this case you remove that for them and go, hey, just go do what you go do. Like teach people, teach your team how to go execute. Te teach them how to help them buy, how to help. And if you're buying into that mission, it's almost they've opted in. Like the people are opted in and then they're getting that advice. They're getting the yes. experience. They're getting everything to go, all right, this is actually how to be a leader. You know, and then in a couple yeah. of years or whatever they choose to do, they can go hop out and go to a, you know, a different commission-based yep. yep. leadership. And, and it it almost is like an interesting yeah. career trajectory. And Alex, it's interesting. I just on LinkedIn seen people who did start in that organization guild have gone into a variety of things. Some of them actually have. Maybe this this was what they realized. Oh, I, I do like this sales thing, right? And they've actually gone on to yeah. commission-based things because they want to go make, make more money more quickly. Yeah. A lot of them have stayed at guild and, and moved up in that organization or gone into other roles. The, the thought was, and Guild has gotten to the scale where it was really hard to hire those people initially. I think the people really uh, the, enjoyed it, to your point. The people who, who bought in kind of really enjoyed it. But also, once we had those that initial layer in place, if we were hiring right and we were training right, the idea was the next generation, we, we should never have to hire externally ever again, right? right. And um, we should be able to get everybody. And I think that's what's happened. Uh, we, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but there was something I really admired the most about my previous company prior to Guild was HomeAdvisor, which was a traditional 
inside sales juggernaut. Um, you know, had a thousand reps, and I, this is sounds like the craziest thing ever, but was true. Is a world class inside sales org. I don't think until we got to over a thousand reps did we ever hire a management level person from the outside. Wow! Within that organization, and that's something I admired and took with me was that ability really to develop and provide the career path internally to once you have a thousand people, right? The people who were at the SVP level were people who started at reps at Home Advisor, and they were incredibly competent, uh, talented people. Uh, I mean, I, I think, and that, I mean, we don't have to talk about it on this, on this one, but to be able to, to be an individual contributor or going to look for a job and understand where you enter the organization and how you get to the next level or the next levels is really important to go to a home advisor that is a, you know, that that's a massive company, obviously, yeah. right? They're public now. Um, but you look at it and you say, hey, uh, we really focus on developing our people. Same thing that goes for Guild is if you're developing your people and you should never have to hire from the outside except from the earlier roles because that's how you just move up. I mean, what, what better place do you want to go? Then you know you are not just going and being, you know, some mercenary hire that's told to do this or it's not a churn and burn factory when it's like, yep, okay, we're going to just, you know, get rid of the, the bottom 10 or 15%, blah, 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 blah. It's always going to be our expectation is when you come in, you move to the next level. Yes. That's what we expect you to do. Exactly. And Alex, I think this is something, going back to my previous point, I think this is something that, that people don't um, reward enough in, in organizations broadly, right? Mentioned the idea of the peer recognition and, and getting bonus based on that. I think that's important to get collaboration. But I think also this idea, and this is not just in sales, but in any part of an organization, really rewarding people for what their um, like mentees or people they've hired or brought in, what they go on to do. I remember seeing this at Home Advisor because I was there for eight and a half years. There'd be some people where, you know, the people on their team, they were fine, but they always just stayed in that part of the org. There were other, a couple people, and and I always aspired to do this and, think, and, and feel pretty good about what I did on this front, but a couple people where the people on their team ended up, you know, five years later in all kinds of leadership roles throughout the organization. And those are people actually were like, huh, that person needs to be recognized for the, the value they're bringing to the greater org in terms of developing people. Yeah. Um, and then I think if you actually reward that, you get more people doing it. Yeah. No, I mean, everybody everybody is seeing what's happening in the org. And then That's they're right. also telling people, all those are going to be recruiting, hey, you should come work at this company. This is amazing. They really they really treat us with respect. And then you can go anywhere inside the org. I think... I, I think Unfortunately, there's so much just, it's all about the short term. No one's thinking, ah, that, that, that's yeah. going to take forever to happen. And then they look back over the last two or three years and they wonder why there's a high level of churn or they can't figure out the, you know, the playbook or the process or whatever it is. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's sort of young people um, or people earlier in their career deciding where to go. I think that's a huge deal, right? It's it, to your point, the short term, it's tempting to just say, Hey, I'm going to go, who's going to pay me the most today, which is probably going to be a larger company, right? With a more established yeah. sales process. Um, but the only way to take the elevator up in your career, not just the escalator, is by going early, taking risk, and uh, moving up, you know, getting a little lucky because the company's got to grow too. But if you're there, if you do great work, and you picked right in terms of the company, that's the way to take the elevator up in your career. Yep. Well, that's an interesting thing for all, all, all our all the founders, all the leaders who are listening is 
if you build the organization correctly and going back to your very, very first point as far as identifying your your ideal customer profile, in this case, the person that you're hiring, the, the quote unquote salesperson, yeah. you identify that person correctly, but then also build the path for them to be able to flourish treat them with respect, give them the ability to, to be developed, to understand what the bigger mission is and align in more ways than just, hey, go ring this bell as many times as you want. You're going to have less churn across your employees. You're going to have happier customers. Exactly. You're going to have people figuring out all these different types of things. And then they can they can start to sprout into the other parts of the organization because if they're, com if they're coming in as, hey, I don't want to be a salesperson, they can effectively leave your department into a different part of the organization and bring some of those sales tidbits and things that maybe they don't identify that they're a salesperson, but it's still those attributes and those skills come out. Absolutely. And that's really, uh, Alex, to your point, I mean, that, that's really valuable. Having experience on the front line with your, with your customers is valuable experience in every other part of the organization. And I think Gil has really yeah. benefited from that knowledge permeating into other departments. That's huge. Adam, this is awesome. I got a, I got a couple a couple last questions. Anything else that uh, you can you can part some wisdom with us and in, in the audience uh, on this experience throughout uh, scaling Guild? Yeah, I, I think um, one of my favorite and I've written a blog post. I think I need to refresh this about whenever you're at a startup and Guild was one that was certainly a rocket ship in terms of growth has continued to be and um, you know, by all accounts looks to be a, you know, incredibly successful, com mature company. Ultimately it all, everything always feels fucked up <laughs> at every part. So what we were talking about every step of my experience there, it always felt chaotic. It always felt fucked up. It always felt like we had no idea what we were doing. And that's in a company that ended up being you know, successful. And so I think yeah. for folks to remember that when you're in the trenches and things feel like that, that's just the game. It always feels like that. Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, it's it's like, what? How do you want to define the fucked upness, right? Because in one company it's this way, but if you go to another company, there's it's still there. It's just painted like a different color, or you know, looks something else. It's still there. They're always it's fucked just, up in very different ways. Yeah, it's the <laughs> perks of being in a startup. No, yeah. that make that that's that's really really good advice. Um, what would you say um, to people who are looking for uh, more resources? You have a favorite book, favorite resource that you recommend founders, sales leaders uh, get a hold of throughout this scaling journey? Yeah, so I spend most of my time now right, running a venture fund and so think more holistically around founders and, and kind of company building overall. Um, it's a little cliche, but I just think it's a good book is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Um, I, a lot of people recommend that, but for good reason, it's one of the few books written by a founder who scaled, who gives you a little bit more of the straight scoop and more tactical experience versus just the super high level, um, theoretical, uh, dynamic here. Because I think some of the, the, the classic business books that just speak in terms of theory or best practices, when you're in the trenches and you're early stage, right? The company as a founder, the company is going to be built in your image, like it or not. And so the best thing for you to do is to understand a lot of the tactics that you can employ given your various strengths and weaknesses. So that's a book I'd recommend. Love that book. One of my, one of my favorites. How do uh, how does the audience get more of you? Where can they find you? Sure. So uh, my my fund is called Range Ventures, range.vc. You can shoot me an email directly, adam at range.vc. Happy to, to help and uh, talk to anyone. We're focused on Colorado founders from that standpoint, but always happy to help anybody any way we can. Awesome. 
I appreciate you being here. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'd love to have you on again. That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.